Hello friends, my name is Enzo and the pod is Two Woke Titos. My guest for today is a childhood friend. His name is Mark Copino. We talk primarily about martial arts, specifically the martial art of Jiu-Jitsu. I've always wanted to talk to Mark because he's a friend who's not overtly political, but he's very deep. He's very philosophical. And his study of Jiu-Jitsu has deepened his understanding of what it is to be a man, uh, a father, um, a husband, a teammate, a teacher. And he talks about all of this with such integrity. And it, it, it's just a beautiful conversation to be had. Um, so we don't talk about current events per se. We go deep on this one specific passion. We talk a little bit about fighting and training. We talk about what he goes through and what goes in his head, especially after hard practices and tough training sessions. All in all, it's a glimpse into someone who knows himself very well and who expresses himself best through his art and who in his own special, very nuanced way is trying to make a difference in the world. So, ladies and gents, boys and girls, children of all ages, my next guest, the great and powerful Mark Cupino. Hey Mark, how's things? Nice hearing your voice again. Very good to hear from you. I think it's been more than a decade or probably. At least. Yeah, since we last hung out. I think the last time we hung out, if I remember, uh, we were in Bohol. I wasn't even married in 2005. We were there, we were drinking till like the morning and I couldn't even remember what happened the next day. But that was... I think we had a good conversation then. It was a fun conversation then. Did you remember that? I think that was that that was kind of an accident. I'm not sure if our families planned that or nagasabay lang. I don't even remember if that was planned. Yeah, but yes. yeah, that was good times, good times, and good talk. No, that that was probably a podcast worth conversation. If you think. <laughs> Wait, yeah, I wish I remembered what we were talking about, but I honestly don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, just for everyone, um, I'll, I'll set this up. The Copinos, Mark, Robbie, Luigi, uh, our family friends, I, I would say we grew up together. Geographically, went to the same grade school. Our family, our, our parents are still friends to this day. And the reason why I brought Mark on is, we were just talking before the recording, Mark has a very interesting life. I, I think he's, he's a very passionate man, a very intelligent guy. And I wanted to bring him in to talk. So, Mark, how would you introduce yourself? Like, maybe tell us what you do for work. Tell us what line of business you're in, and then maybe we can talk about your hobbies after. Yeah, um, yeah. I think if people are gonna ask me who who I am, they say, "Oh, Mark, Mark's the coach in Def Takalabang. He teaches jujitsu. He teaches gymnastics natural." But before all that, moving on forward, you know, if I ask myself personally, I always say, first and foremost, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a son, I'm a brother, a true friend to, to a few, and a coach you know, who teaches Jiu-Jitsu and Gymnastica Natural. You know, my interests are very simple, and it revolves basically, basically uh, with who I am. You know, as a father, I love spending my time with my three daughters and the family. I, I show gratitude for the gift of life and good health by keeping myself fit. You know, I love training and teaching Jiu-Jitsu and everything that revolves around it such as Gymnastica Natural to help improve my movements and kettlebell training for my strength and conditioning. Other than you, the, yeah. you are um, exactly that. You're probably best known um, by, from your fitness career. Mm -hmm. But I like how you started out introducing yourself as a family man. 
True. Um, yeah, yeah. That's who we are, That that I like. Um, this this podcast is ostensibly about jujitsu, and yeah. what I, I like talking to you about it because you're I, I I'm gonna use the word philosophical. You're almost philosophical about how you think about your family, your life, your teaching, your coaching. Um, yeah. What came first? Were you always philosophical before the jiu-jitsu? Or is this something that came out because of your practice and your study? Uh, that's a good question, but it's a very challenging question. But I've, like I always tell people, you know, you can't be one thing and the other. Like uh, we were talking earlier, uh, you can't be a good father if you uh, pretend to be a good coach. You're, you're good as a coach, as good as you're a father. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm loyal as a teammate, as I am loyal as a husband, you know, uh, yeah. I'm there for my friends as I am there for my brothers. You know, you know parang everything is, works hand in hand. You can't be one thing and the other and be, what's the word? Um, it's connected, you know what I'm saying? Life, jiu-jitsu, how you go about things, philosophy, uh, your religion. It's supposed to be one whole circle. It's not, uh, politics is different from uh, church. Church is different from education. Education is different from family. It's just one, one thing. I think. I mean, I may be wrong, but that's how I live my life. Yeah. And this is, see, when you say things like that, I, I really wish there were more people who knew you. But let, let's dive into it. Huh? Let, let's, let's initiate everyone. I think yeah. most everyone will probably know about jiu-jitsu because they watch UFC or whatever. But um, explain it to us. Tell us about the martial art that is jiu-jitsu. What is it? Um, what do you do? How mm -hmm. is it practiced? Uh, how is it taught? Yeah, it's basically a grappling-oriented martial art. It's a combat sport that involves ground fighting, wherein ideally a smaller person could benefit in a fight against a much larger opponent using leverage. And what makes it different, unlike other martial arts that are, I think the closest to jiu-jitsu would be judo and wrestling. In mm -hmm. judo, your goal would be to take someone to the ground by throwing. In wrestling, your goal would be to take someone down and then pin them there. But in jiu-jitsu, what makes it different the fight just starts when you, uh, when you're on the ground. It doesn't stop when you're on the ground. It stops when you're in a dominant position and able to subdue or hold your opponent to, you know, to a favorable favorable position or subdue them. Basically, the sport has an interesting history in the sense that jiu-jitsu. It sounds Japanese, right? But True. it the the birthplace if you will correct me if i'm wrong is brazil can you talk us a little bit about that interesting uh there's a family very strongly associated with the start of this but t tell us about how this started so it sounds japanese but it comes from brazil how how did this sport come to life oh that's a good question um actually uh, it's found jiu-jitsu it's founded by uh, mitsuyo meida so he's japanese you're right jiu-jitsu is japanese and then he taught mitsuyo meida taught Carlos Gracie. So he's the first student for jiu-jitsu. Carlos Gracie had a brother, uh, Helio Gracie, which you, you will see in all probably gyms of jiu-jitsu gyms everywhere. He's the guy with a belt standing there with a flag at the back. Uh, so he continued the legacy passed on to Hoyce Gracie, who made it popular in UFC. And then, you know, it got big and it is what it is now. But uh, it was from Jap a Japanese guy origin from Mitsuyo Meida. And if you could put a time stamp on it, what, what year did uh, Mitsuyu Maidea teach the Gracies? Was this in the 50s or the 1950s, 1960s? What, uh, what year? If I'm not mistaken, 1910s to 1920s. 
Yeah. Right, right. In the 30s, um, Carlos Meda was more of the, if I read it right, or if my, um, my reference is correct, you know, he got into the business side of it. But the more, the one who really carried it was Helio Gracie. Mm. Helio Gracie had his, you know, a lot of children. And they're the ones who, who spread the word of jiu-jitsu. And that's why it's called Great Gracie Jiu-Jitsu for some. But uh, So they're the guys who made it more popular. But do not get me wrong, they're not the only guys who bought it. There were other people, but they're the ones who popularized it. So we're, we're talking about more or less in this in this orientation, right? Ground fighting, um, putting someone in a dominant position, or you know, tapping out. So this this is mostly a hundred year old sport, and it's spread yeah. immensely since yeah. then. Um, tell me about you. You, you are um, you hold a belt, and Jiu Jitsu has a belt ranking system, right? Uh, a, a beginner would wear a white belt, and yeah. it goes into black belts, and there are such things as red belts. Uh-huh. Where do you stand in your Jiu Jitsu journey today? What what belt do you hold? Uh, I, I'm sorry. I'm- sound immodest but please tell us what belt do you hold uh i'm currently a brown belt now you know i've been practicing since 2011 and hasn't stopped since but let me explain to you first the belt system in jiu-jitsu you start with white and then blue then purple to brown and then black you know unlike other martial arts the belt progression in jiu-jitsu it's quite long uh, some people, if you uh, do not, I'm, I don't want, I don't want to name any particular martial arts. In two years or four years, we're probably a black belt, right, or uh-huh. a, a high-ranking belt. Here, I'm, I am training for nine years, and I'm a brown belt. Uh, for some, parang tagal-tagal mo na training, but you're still that belt. But you know, for me, it's uh, this teaches a lot of about patience and enjoying right. the journey rather than chasing the belt. You know what I'm right. saying? It's not supposed to be the belt. It's the journey. It's getting there, getting there. Because once you get there, we're, I think if you're passionate about what you do, you'll get to where you are. Maybe sooner, maybe later, but you know, you'll get there. Um, and besides, a belt is just a belt. Like Hoist Gracie made a popular quote. Uh, this is a very good quote. The belt only covers two inches of your ass. The rest you have to cover. I love that quote. The belt only covers two inches of your ass. The rest you have to cover. I mean, if you go out, I'm not going to show, oh, I'm a brown belt, I'm a black belt. It's, you know, who you are as a person, your characteristics, such as humility, willingness to learn, you know, resilience. How you treat people is a more important trait. More so, I look more at the character of a person rather than the belt he wears. Again, think, when you say things like that, this is exactly why I'm so passionate and interested in talking to you. I, I guess I just want to harp up on a differentiation um, for most Pinoy kids who grew up doing you know, karate in school or whatever, which also has a belt system. You'll mm-hmm. notice that, uh, at least in kids' karate, you yeah. will get, get a promotion if you take a test, right? Or you will get a promotion w- along with a certificate or something in the ceremony. Yeah. But tell us, in jiu-jitsu, how do you get your promotion? And by promotion, folks, I mean from white to blue, uh, blue to purple, etc. So how, how do you get promoted in jiu-jitsu, Mark? Uh, the rights or uh, is, uh, is there a skill level that... Actually, to be honest, I think for you to progress, there are certain skills in a particular belts that you have to be known. Mm-hmm. Like, for example... Uh, I'll just talk about the white belt because the white belt is very important. It's the start. Right. So you're doing the white belt. It no matter uh, if you're like the strongest guy doing 500 bench presses, 500 pounds of bench press, or you know you're that athletic kid who can you know jump and reach the ring. It doesn't matter when you start jujitsu. You have to be humble. You know you might be thinking na parang okay, I'm the CrossFit guy. You can do this. Suddenly you get choked out by a skinny, skinny, experienced guy. <laughs> right. You, right? 
uh, where's, your, where's your ano now? Because what you have to learn first and foremost is survival in white mm-hmm. mm-hmm. about knocking anyone out. It's not impressing anyone. It's about surviving and composing yourself in bad positions. Mm-hmm. You know, when you compose yourself, like, okay, I'm mounted. Uh, I don't panic. I breathe. Uh, I think I'm in a bad position. Mm-hmm. I can get out given the opportunity. So parang, for white belt, I think you have to learn about survival. For blue belts, uh, for brown belts where I am, I'll, I'll jump to brown belt, it's polishing your skill for greater understanding to be a black belt. Uh yeah, being a brown belt belt reflects years of training and progression in skill and experience. More specifically, the brown belt has developed building blocks for survival, escapes, and develop a high-level guard game. This is where he polishes his skills to become the black belt. But then again, the black belt is not the end of the journey, but rather the start, for me, of a greater understanding. But to answer your question, I'll be honest, I'm not such a belt fanatic, but I respect and honor the belt systems as part of jiu-jitsu. And because it's awarded by your instructors. Let me explain something to people who are just listening, who've never trained jiu-jitsu or seen jiu-jitsu. Mark talked about uh, survival as as a white belt. So I guess let me relate this. If you were ever guarding a fantastic basketball player and they always beat you with a crossover and you you don't know what's happening before you know what they've done around you and scored. Yeah. Or if you were guarding a fantastic football player and one thing you know, they fake you out and before you know it, you're stumbling all over yourself. Imagine that happening to you on the ground, on your back, with someone who's all over you and you have no idea what they're about to do. If They're, grab- they're kind of grabbing your collar, but they're also on your leg. Yeah. You don't know if they're on top uh-huh. of your chest. You can't breathe. Now, it's, yeah. um, and I say this as a very, very novice, totally unskilled person. When you don't know what's you're happening to you, that is uh-huh. probably... That's what survival means. And it's pretty scary, and it makes you very, very tired very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, let's talk about that lineage. Who awarded you your belts? Or, or maybe bigger question, tell us the school under which you've studied all these nine years. Um, and yeah. I, we're going to start talking about your team and your masters, but tell us about the school. You, you have been training with uh, DEFTAC, am I correct? Yeah, I've always started uh, trained with DEFTAC ever since I started. Uh, we knew each other 2001. Uh, I trained her for a year or two, and then I got married. I had kids, so I stopped. I came back 2011. I came back to the same team, which is DEFTAC. It got much bigger. Uh, our black belt is Alvin Aguilar. Mm-hmm. Alvin Aguilar is the first homegrown Filipino black belt. It's a big thing because before, unlike now, we have a couple of black belts who can award you your black belt. But during that time, you had to go out of the country, you know, how to train, to teach us where we are now. So he set the, the, the pathway for DEFTAC, which is what it is now with, I think, more than, I can't even count, probably 40 branches or, or so, yeah. So DEFTAC is a, it, well, I guess it's part of the Gracie system. Am I correct? Or did I miss that? Uh, so Alvin got his black belt from Kazeka, uh-huh. uh, but we're, under, uh, yeah, we're now under the Ribeiro system, Ribeiro. so it's DEFTAC okay. Ribeiro. So the lineage would be um, before Saulo Ribeiro would be Hoyler, Hoyler Gracie. Right. Yeah. So, so this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. If you trace, if you trace jiu-jitsu, you would go back all the way to Count Maeda. Um, in, in, cool. And right now, today in the year 2020, Mark Pino would trace his lineage to uh, Master Alvin, who in turn would yes. trace his lineage to Master Ribeiro, who in turn would would, yeah. trace his, would trace his lineage to Master Gracie, and we would probably connect that yeah. thought all the way back to Maeda. 
Um, yeah, true. It's like a family tree. It's exactly <laughs> like a family tree. And right? this I find yeah. interesting because unlike, say, judo or Muay Thai or boxing or wrestling, Jiu-Jitsu has a long tradition. Now, just to bring that back, uh, this is your team, DevTac. There's, there's 40 such gyms and uh, uh, affiliates, if you will. Tell us about your DevTac gym. It, it's, I, I see a lot of no-ego BJJ um, on your social media. It's, it's, tell us about no-ego and DevTac. How, how does this gym um, system or, or this team system work for you um, as Mark Copino? Well, that, that's an interesting question. Um, no ego BJJ or that blog or that um, Facebook page. It's just my little journal when I started as a white belt. Mm-hmm. Because I train 8, 8, 8 p.m., I get home like 11 p.m. And then, of course, coming home, you can't sleep right away. So I have to channel my energy and maybe my thoughts to something positive. So I started like, you know, writing to myself, writing to myself. So maybe... Uh, eventually, I, I decided to you know, put it out in a little uh, Tumblr account. It was Tumblr before. So I'd put my rants there. And, you know, it's it's pretty interesting parang, to go back to the thoughts you have. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure you're with, with your um with your podcast you were saying in your manifesto. Like, maybe five years from now, this is going to be funny. But, you know, you wouldn't be where you are if it wasn't for the thoughts you had a couple of years ago. You know what I'm saying? Um. You'll never progress if you never talk journal of what you do. I know it's, it's a bit geeky, but you know that, that's who I am. It's a way of channeling my um, uh, my thoughts into something positive. Anyway, that's no ego BJJ. It's not it's not a brand. It's just my thoughts, my philosophy. So we'll, we'll get back to this because um, for those who didn't catch it, Mark has a. Is it public? Can we talk about this this blog? Uh, no ego BJJ. Is it still up? Do you still do it or not so much? Uh, not so much. It's um, yeah, it is, but it's more a Facebook page. I don't go to the Tumblr account because the Tumblr is parang it, it doesn't have get that good of a format for me to write. It's usually Facebook, and people get to read Facebook more rather than websites. Right. Now. Um, and no ego BJ. And by the way, when you post things, I see a lot of commentary from your from your students, I guess from your teammates, and, and it's a whole thing. But no ego BJJ started. Um, and when I say BJJ folks, we mean Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So no, no ego yeah. BJJ started out as your um, internal reflections after your training. Um, I find it uh-huh. unique because not a lot of other martial arts or even sports for that matter, whether it's basketball or football, get people thinking. Right? I, I, it, it strikes what what strikes me as unique with Jiu-Jitsu versus other um, sports, martial arts, hobbies is that. People think about it a lot when they're not doing it. Now, tell us, for example, the kind of thing you think about after a practice. Are you thinking about, ah, oh, I made a mistake? Or are you thinking about how to do something better? Or are you thinking about when you when you went when you were rolling and 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 you, you and you're strategizing? Like what, what are the thoughts in your mind uh, after a practice? What what are these thoughts that go into no no ego BJJ? Actually, it's exactly what you said. Like you want to um Learn from your, your mistakes. Like, for example, I got tapped out. So how did I get tapped out? I didn't just tap out because I was in a bad position. I put myself in a bad situation or circumstance to be able to be tapped out. For me not to tap out in that same circumstance again, I have to stay out of that uh, circumstance or situation. How do I do that? Maybe I have to be more um, forcing my uh, game rather than reacting. I don't know if that. Sense, but uh, 
it's just not getting yourself in the same situation. Learning from your mistakes, it's always that. It's learning and relearning, learning and relearning. It's just a simple process, but uh, that's how it is. You only can learn from your mistakes. The less, the more mistakes you make, the I guess the more lessons you have. Right. I don't know if that works for some. I'm not a phenom, so I get tapped out from time to time and sometimes a lot, but that helped me to be who I am now because both are my learnings. Yeah. So for, the, for folks to visualize this, and maybe when we say martial arts, the most common martial arts practice uh, at, and business and gym, you see is boxing, right? And boxing has, you skip rope and then you hit the bag and then you get three rounds of mitts and then you do abs. It, it, and, and that's more or less the pattern. But in jiu-jitsu, the pattern in a, in a class will somehow always involve uh, live sparring, if you will, right? Like people roll. And this, this is what Mark means when you get tapped or you have to learn about the position. In jiu-jitsu, again, what makes it unique is you, you, you go live more or less, right? I mean, after your drills and after the explanation, you, you have to practice with, with real live resisting bodies. Mm -hmm. um, tell us about that. Because if you look at, compared to boxing or Muay Thai, you don't see a lot of sparring in every single class, right? But in Jiu-Jitsu, if you were to walk into any Jiu-Jitsu class, uh, like, an, like you were saying, an 8 to 11 class, you'll see a lot of people rolling. Tell us, what is it about Jiu-Jitsu that requires you to do such live practice? Uh, well, for me, like what uh, Alvin Aguilar would always tell us, the process of learning is um, learning first, training, mastering, and making it functional. Of course, you're learning by uh, if, if a teacher teaches you or your instructor teaches you, this is how you do a cross. So you're right over your left, you squeeze it together. Now you learn. But it's different when you're learning and actually training. By training, you have to actually do this. I have to put my right hand here, my left hand here, and then squeeze. And then it's not enough that you're training it. You have to master it too. So you have to do it again and again, the same thing over and over again. But then again, even if you master it, but if you can't do it under pressure, do not get me wrong. These are all useless. This is the purpose of, purpose of sparring. Uh -huh. So under pressure, you're supposed to be able to apply what you learned, trained, and mastered. So I know it's it's parang hard for some that uh, I'm, I'm rolling right away. But the best way to learn is really by just doing it, right? Uh, you can't just... You can't say you're, you're playing basketball if you're shooting a thousand shots a day. That's not playing basketball a basketball game. You're just shooting. You know what I'm saying? Same thing with jiu-jitsu. If you're not rolling, for me, uh, then you're not probably training completely. And I might be. I might have been touching uh, different thoughts here, but that's that's my thought on sparring. That's why it has to be part of every class. And I guess just to relate this again to if you see a boxing gym, for the most part, you can throw like whatever, a thousand left hooks, but very few people yeah. who practice their left hooks actually can land a left hook in a in live uh in live combat or, or situations right they'll always hit the pad or just the bag whereas you when you when you train that cross choke i'm 99 percent sure you would get that on a live resisting human body right now um let's transition this so from learning to training to performing under pressure let me ask you about uh, fighting, or at least competition. You have competed locally, and I think I last saw you compete in Japan. Um, wh where have you been? Wh when was the last time you competed in jiu-jitsu? Oh, the last time I competed was uh, was the, one of the most memorable days of my life. It was last year in Las Vegas. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, it's the yeah, it's the biggest event. Uh, in it's called World's Masters. Uh -huh. So um, 
it's the biggest event for 30-year-old competitors in pop. So all, all the competitors from around the world, from US, from Brazil, from Asia, from all over the world, they gather there to compete. Mm-hmm. So it was so overwhelming, but you know, it's a little gift that I wanted to give give myself when I turned 40. I said, okay, when I turn 40, I want to be able to go there, you know, to be able to compete. And it was so great. The, the experience was just wow. I was it with anyone, I was it with family for the whole two weeks. I was alone training, uh, doing my thing, being healthy, just with family. It gave me a lot of reflection. It made me clear for competition. But, you know, uh, I'm happy it happened. So, you know, I can never say that if I was a basketball player, I'll, I'll never get to play in the NBA. If I'm a football player, I'll never get to play in the Worlds. But as a jiu-jitsu guy, I can say that, hey, I joined the biggest competition in when I turned 40. Just a great gift for myself. And let, let, yeah. let's, let's relate that. So this is a competition, and as Mark said, this is the prestigious the competition and when mark says masters yes. uh that, that relates to the age but i assume yeah. that you competed um based on belt level and based on weight yeah. uh did, did you join the opens yeah. because there, there, there's weight and there, there's opens right so so you compete as a brown oh. if... yeah so that's a good question yeah i joined the brown belt in my weight category which is the 76 kilograms and lower uh but i uh, i i won my first match i lost my second match um there were like, I don't know, like 60 competitors there. For you to be able to compete for the open weight, which is the absolute weight class, you have to uh, be the top, I'm sorry, the top three, mm-hmm. gold, silver, or bronze. So I didn't make any of that. But if you did make it to that, wow, that's such a great out of 60 guys. And you made it there. It's, it's a great thing. But maybe one time or another, I'll get there. Yeah. Tell us about that feeling. Because obviously, um, and I'll relate this to training. So there's learning it from the teacher. And then there's going live. Little bit drills. Yeah. with uh, You do reps with your partner. The, and then you start rolling. What is the difference of being in competition versus any of that other stuff I just mentioned? How does it feel to be, to be in, a, in competition? Okay, let me explain. Um, comp- competition in jiu-jitsu, it's basically dealing with pressure and strategy. Mm-hmm. It's about being sharp and pay, play, paying close attention to the details and being fast to initiate your game so as to shut down your opponent's game. Right. Um, so if you start physically, uh, at a minimum, I like getting my body in the best condition I can be. A little more than a month before competition, I try to level up my strength and conditioning program and also put a lot of work on my mobility. Um, we, are, we have competition training a couple of weeks before the tournament. During competition training, there are no new techniques. Uh, it's not a time to learn. It's a time to hone what you already know. Uh-huh. Uh, we're, we're, in competition training, we put ourselves in situations. It's called situationals. Uh, we basically put in a, ourselves in a situation where we might end up during the actual competition. For example, um, we'll start sparring from the mount position. Uh-huh. So one will be under, one will be on top. So you know how to get out of that position. So it's not a time for you to say, oh, what's a new technique to get out of the mount? No, it's not a time for that. How do you survive? How do you make adjustments? How do you get out of it? How do you put yourself in a, in a position to, to guard yourself? And then, you know, start at, at an equal level where you can uh, probably win the match or... Yeah. You speak so, very calmly yeah. and very, very clearly. When you're in the competition, and you mentioned you had, you had two fights, well, among others, in, in Vegas, what, what yeah. do you feel? Are, are you nervous? Are you angry? Is, is there fear in your mind? Like, what, what's going through your mind when someone else 
who you know is very, very good and very, very skilled is coming for you? What is happening in your mind? That's a good question. Um, when you're new in the competition scene, you know, I've, I've been competing since 2011. I'm not saying I'm very successful at each and every time, but every year I put myself in a position where I'm uncom- uncomfortable through competitions. So prior to Vegas, I've been competing in Japan for, I think, for three or, or four consecutive years. So I progressed from local tournaments to Asian Open and now to the Worlds. Um, uh, I don't really think about... Um, who my opponent is because um, that's not in my what's that? It's not in my control. Mm-hmm. What's in my control is how I train, what I eat, how I sleep, how I recover. So I focus on that. I try to clear my mind. Of course, there's a bit of nervousness. I'll be lying if I said I wasn't nervous. No, uh, there's this um author coach Bob Rotella saying that um if you're not nervous about something, probably you know um. That thing doesn't matter to you. You get nervous because it matters. Because to you. you care. Yeah. Yeah, you care. I mean, if you're like, oh, bahala na yan because you know you don't care about it. But are you nervous because it's something that you're you're passionate about, something you care about? You know what I'm saying? That's why we're careful with our children because we care about them. You know, same thing with the tournaments and jujitsu. The result is really something else. Uh, we can never. The result of the match is not under your control, but how you perform will. Be. It, you know, it brings you excitement in that sense. Yeah. I find that a lot of people are nervous, not because of what they are doing in the match or what their opponent is doing in the other match, but because of what, uh, what they think other people will think. Uh, th- True, very there's this famous uh, quote from Bas Rutten, and he said, if you and the other guy had the fight in a closed room and no one would ever see it, would you still be nervous? And more often than not, people say, uh, guess not. Then he goes, then stop thinking about what the other people are thinking. Do your thing. And I find it interesting that people are very, very clear about this. Um, here's my question. You obviously have students now. And yeah. from what I see and from what I hear, your students love you, they respect you, and they value you. When you put together a class, um, apart from obviously the techniques of the day or maybe preparing people for, for competition with the situational drills, what are you trying to do in each class? You, you strike me as someone who's very purposive. So apart from all of that, the jiu-jitsu, the drills, the training, the competition, what are you trying to bring into the class? That's good. No, Actually, you're not just teaching gym jiu-jitsu. At the minimum, you're teaching gym jiu-jitsu for self-defense. You're what you want to put their physical fitness at a higher level and maybe compete. But uh, the, the goal of fitness, the goal of self-defense, the goal of competition is very simple. It's teaching you to be a beco- to becoming a better person overall. Very, very simple. You know, so it goes all together. You can't be teaching them to be to pull dirty tricks to win a, a competition. I mean, what are you really teaching them to win at the cost of um giving out your principles? So uh it depends on which coach you are, but uh, that's how I teach, you know. Teaching has to be one of the most fulfilling things I've done. It's a little way of being of service to society, teaching about good values through the art of jiu-jitsu. Being a coach and a father is kind of the same. As I am a father to my children, I am a coach to my students. My students are like my children. I'm there to teach them to be the best practitioners or the best persons that they can be. You want your students to improve their overall health, hone their skills in the martial art, at the same time instilling them the values of honor, 
hard work, resilience, and you know, being the best versions of themselves. I, I like that you bring in children, and I'll relate this to your teaching. You know how sometimes you, 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 your kids will have a tantrum, or you know, they go yeah. through things. <laughs> Uh, have you ever seen it on the mats when someone is clearly angry or alam mo parang may pinagdadaanan? I I I know you've seen that. How do you help people like that? People who are either angry or or extra aggressive that day or you know ha, you know that there's something off. What do you do when you see that on the mats? Uh you know first and for, uh, foremost them being a ma- being on the mats it's a win already. Like, they want to put the outside world out for a while. Like, you can't be thinking about your job, about, you know, uh, your budget while you're rolling. That's so hard. Imagine you're being mounted and you're thinking about, okay, what am I, I going to eat tomorrow? For that hour or two that you're training with me, it's your sanctity. It's like church, you know. When you're in church, you turn off your phone. Um, same thing in jiu-jitsu. When you're, up, when you're training, you shut off the outside world and just focus on the task at hand. You take it one at a time. And maybe that hour or two will help you reflect to be, you know, you, you have an idea, suddenly your, your, your mind is free, uh, you're, you're more calm. And then the more calm you are, you know, the better decision-making you'll have in life. I don't know if that's true for everyone, but that's how I see jiu-jitsu and training. I find that a lot of, um, apart from being intellectual and introspective like, like you are, I find that a lot of jiu-jitsu guys tend to be very, very centered and calm. And the reverse is true, no? When, when Jiu-Jitsu guys can't roll, they get very, very antsy like during the pandemic. Yeah. But uh-huh. I guess, and I, I know you've seen other martial arts, uh, wrestling, for example, mm-hmm. or even boxing and Muay Thai. What, what's so different about Jiu-Jitsu that calms people? Uh, is it because there's too much, there's a lot of stress that you're forced to clear your mind? Is it because you're continually being tapped out, therefore you're taught to be humble? But, but what, what, what do you think is it? that brings out the inner calm uh, from jiu-jitsu players or, and from people who practice and train? Uh, I think it's generally, if it's just one thing I can think of now, it's taking one thing, one thing at a time. Uh, like, for example, um, again, being in a position, like someone's taken my bath. So what's my, uh, what's my thing? My goal is not to, to tap the person taking my bath. I cannot do that. First, I need to survive, first and foremost. Uh, make micro adjustments so I can scoot out. When I can scoot out, maybe I can guard or defend myself and maybe get out of that defensive position and put myself in a dominant position. So it's about taking one thing at a time and focusing on the task at hand rather than jumping to what you want to be, you know, uh, four steps ahead. Take one at a time, be calm. Uh, you're in a bad position, but you'll get out of it. I think we have that mentality because we've, in jiu-jitsu, it's impossible to say that, you know, I've never been mounted. I've never been tapped. Um, I think that's a lie or you're a, a phenom. But I'd rather be the average guy learning about, you know, experiencing everything and learning from the mistakes I make. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because that, that's you, you, hear, you hear that kind of uh, philosophy from everyone, like Hicks on Gracie to a lot of even the very, very fundamentally sound jiu-jitsu coaches and legends in the sense that first you do step one, you go from one to two, from two to three, to three to four, right? I mean, you, your, your job is not to get a flying arm bar or, or you know, Imanari into a leg lock right away. And I, I, think, I think that's missing nowadays, no? That everyone just wants to do the big thing, but they don't focus on the steps and the details. I think that's a rise of social media. Don't get me wrong, you know, you, you want the highlights, you want the cool stuff, but 
you know, everything starts from fundamentals, from survival, from trust, trusting the process. We use the word trust the process, but how many people are really trusting the process, right? Like we're into quick picks, we're into highlights, we're into uh, whatever makes us happy right here, right now. It's not that. It's about making little sacrifices to make it true. Just, you know. Let, let's talk about... Um... If you're okay with it, because I know there's a very, very, very high level of respect and mutual admiration along jiu-jitsu. Now, when we go into the professional scene, you'll, st you'll still see a lot of that humility. Uh, for example, you you'll, for, you'll see someone like John Donaher, who's very philosophical. I mean, he's, he's legendary with his system, and you know he can hurt people, but he's very, very calm. He explains uh -huh. things, right? He, he, I think his reputation as a great teacher has exceeded his reputation as a skilled fighter. And then on the flip side, you have like the controversial figures, like I don't know, the Dylan Danises of this world, right? Yeah. Okay. So you're familiar with them. It's nice to know that you're into that uh, scene, even if I'm happy. I, I, you know, Dylan Danis, Dan Yeah. Like I, he, he, it's combat jiu-jitsu, and and you know the professional jiu-jitsu scene seems to have explored. But let me ask you this. From a very, very humble, centered, practical, clear philosophy, you're starting to see a lot of this, right? The highlights, the trash talk, um, all of the, I guess it's like the Conor McGregor era. What is your comment there? Do you, do you think that they're playing an act? Just obviously they're trying to make money, right? Or do, do you feel like there are some people who are kind of, I guess, putting the values to the side and, and, and making the performance come first what, what, what's your take on all of this that's a no that's a very interesting question um I, I think they have to find a way to market themselves um but then again um if you notice the like mma fighters who you'd respect i like the guys who are traditionally um rooted into their martial arts and you can tell who they are um what's a karate guy in, in ufc uh i i love that guy uh, wonder boy stephen thompson yeah, they're very respectful. You know he's a martial artist. You know, that's his art. You can see by the way he acts and he carries himself, whether he wins or he loses, that, you know, he's a man of honor. You can tell real martial artists by the honor that they bring themselves with. Uh, I'm sorry I'm not a fan of uh, the MMA unless you're a martial artist before a mixed martial artist. I don't know if that makes sense, but... You have to be a martial artist before being a mixed martial artist. Do not get me wrong. No, I don't have nothing against it. It's just, you know, my way of approaching life. You can't be a mixed guy without being having a specialty. Modern day. We started out uh, maybe 30 minutes ago. Hey, time's flying. How, how are you doing? Are you okay? Are you comfortable? I'm good. I'm enjoying the conversation. We're having. Yeah, we started this out talking about, you know, you can't separate who you are as a dad and a husband versus as a player, as a trainer, as etc. You represent yourself, your team, your lineage. Um, big picture. You have yeah. found a way to continue to be a good guy whilst living out your passions and doing things to make, you know, your community a better place. But at the same time, I, I know that you're paying attention to how the world is getting more violent and, and, and getting more crazy. Um, and people seem to be getting more and more out of touch. Do you feel like people just are, are getting worse? Or do you think that 
the negative is just highlighted and there's still a lot of good out there. What's your, what's your take on all of this if you really thought about it? Um, that's a good, 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 very good question. It's very deep. Um, uh, the world's changing. It's not what it was when we, we met 20 years ago. <laughs> uh, the mentality and the ways uh, we, we people do about things, it's different. I think what's changed the past couple of years or the past decades would be that uh, because of the because of technology which helped, um, we're always doing things fast. We're always doing things fast. microwaves. Um, now internet. It, it, before during our time, when you have a homework or a research, you have to look for an encyclopedia. Go to a library, uh, re- look for the book, get an encyclopedia, write it down, and everything. Now all you have to do is turn on your computer and you know search for uh, how to dissect a fraud or something like that. Right. right. Um, it has its good and its bad. I think the reason why um, when you're more open, there are good things and bad things. The inflow of good and the inflow of the bad. You have to be. You have to take the good with the bad. But it's about um, handling your thing. It's how, how how you handle the information that comes in and out. You know what I'm saying? It's 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 a hard mix. <laughs> it's it's interesting how. And when you said it, I, I was picking it up. You said what makes jiu-jitsu special and what's, what makes people who do jiu-jitsu special is, you know, you go from step one to two to three to four and, and you, you don't go for the big thing right away. And you just called out that this world, that's exactly what's happening. Things are moving far too fast and people always look for the easy way out. When you look at your daughters and you have three daughters, um, what is it that you teach them? I, I see your videos. I, I see you working kettlebells with them. But are you making this part of their upbringing? Are you purposely trying to teach them these values? And, and how? If it, what is it that you're doing with them to make sure that you're able to transfer these learnings? Well, I'll be very honest with you. Uh, it's difficult to convince my daughters to train jiu-jitsu. They do not train jiu-jitsu. They do randomly once in a while. But consistently, consistently they do not. Uh, I don't know, maybe because this is practically all that they see me do. Almost every weeknight after dinner, I go out to teach jiu-jitsu when I'm home. I'm watching videos, uh, whether it be a match, whether it's instructional or you know, some, uh, something related to it. But as an aside, uh, what this pandemic or this great reset, you know, I'd like to call it like that, it's given me the beautiful opportunity to really spend quality time with my daughters and also teach them about fitness through, uh, there's another thing I teach, which is Gymnastica Natural. Uh. Uh, what's, what's nice about Gymnastica Natural is that you can do it anytime and anywhere without the need for any physical equipment. Since some of the exercises are animal movements, this makes exercise more fun, especially that the kids can envision the movements that the animals are making. Like, uh, like a tiger, this is how a tiger moves. This is how a frog moves. But actually, it's a workout. A frog is like a squat. Right? Right. Uh, a tiger would be like a uh, like a lunch, right? So they don't, but they're they're exercising. I make their programs fun in such a way that it's like a game rather than a okay three sets of uh, ten repetitions. I don't make it like that. I make it like a game. So you know, it makes things fun and it hones my creativity as a coach. Just the same way, they grew into the habit of exercising just this um pandemic. So I'm thankful for the opportunity of this great boss for me to instill fitness and you know exercise and being healthy with them look man we're, we're about to wind down but i just want to say as someone who's known you when i first 
when we first started hanging out as kids, you were all about Street Fighter and basketball, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But just just seeing how you have grown and you know your worldviews, and as I said, if if you want to see to follow a deeply philosophical guy who's not about philosophy, follow Mark because your posts about competition, no ego, training, taking things one step at a time. I just want to say I've admired the changes you've made. And this has not been an accident, clearly. Your studies in JITS, your, your focus in kettlebell and now, and now being gymnastica natural, which unfortunately we didn't get to talk about. I just want to say thank you for being a man of value. Thank you for keeping traditions alive. In, in a way, it's, you are very old school. And thank you for being a good example. It, it, it's super cool to see martial artists like you who know exactly who they are and are being very, very, very purposive about how they represent themselves. So it's cool to see. Yeah, thank you very much for this opportunity to be able to talk. It, it was more of a fun conversation and catching up. And I like sharing my thoughts. If there's uh, one sentence or one phrase that can change someone's life, then great. If you can go through the blabber and the, you know, the long talks, but if you picked up a thing or two, then you know, I'm happy. And I, I wish you well with your podcast because I know you want to sincerely reach out to people and make a positive change. Out there. there are a lot of interesting people such as you who are not, uh, this is going to sound like a knock, who are not artistas or influencers, but I, I really appreciated your point of view. And for those of you who don't know Mark, the way he is with his family, obviously with business, right? You are a very whole person, and, and there's nothing fake here, and there's nothing you're doing for the gram, and I appreciate that. So thank you for letting me have a chance to talk to you. Oh, I sincerely want, want to thank you, Enzo, and I wish you the best in your um, podcast. All righty, guys. So this is Marco Pino. If you want to train with him, he trains out in Alabang. Sorry, people in the north. But the, the gym is open. I know the gym is not open. You're, you're, you're only doing Zoom right now, no? Yeah, only Zoom classes. So you can do Zoom classes, but at some point, when when the IATF allows it, the, the gym will be open and come out, train jiu-jitsu, train gymnastica natural over in Alabang. Mark, any last things you want to shout out or any things that you wanted to say before we before we say bye to everybody? I, I'd want to end with a little quote, a one-sentence quote from Marcus Aurelius, something with grappling. No? The art of living is more like the wrestler's art rather than the dancers in this regard, that it must stand ready and firm to meet whatever happens to it, even when unforeseen. Similar to the what's happening right now. I wish everyone the best. I wish everyone healthy. I wish everyone safe. And I wish you the best in your podcast that you may change uh, a lot of lives. Positive. Cheers, man. Thank you very much. Thank you.